again to Life of Education's podcast. We're here uh, with again with Matt Cottrell. Oh yeah, um, we like you, Matt. You've been here loads. <laughs> yeah, tell me, uh, yeah, is second this... time. What? No, no. On the podcast. we did a third. No, one. we did the third one. What was the third one? Well, this is the, what we was did that? an announcement one at the very beginning, like like episode two or three. Oh, right, well, on as part of your lecture thing. Yeah, uh, and then we did one talking about the course that you've done, the resistance, yeah, the stress stuff, the adaptation to resistance training. Yeah. So we're back again. Um, Matt has been doing a lot of work uh, teaching up-and-coming PTs. Yeah, yeah. Lots of students, lots of adult learners. Yeah, how do you find that? Uh, Teaching's great. Like, I love teaching. Like, it's one of those things where it's not work. I genuinely look forward to doing it. Um, It's it's very fulfilling. It's uh, challenging as well because, obviously you kind of get a, a whole host of different types of people. Like you get guys coming in and they're, they're from like the oil industry and they're like, I can't deal with this anymore. I need to be a PT. So it's cool to help them try and figure that out. And then you get guys who are completely green and fresh and have never seen a treadmill in their life. And it's then, okay, well, how do I teach you two at the same time? Do you know? So it's, it's cool. It's fulfilling. I, I'm, I'm a quiet guy, but I enjoy it when I can just stand up and just talk without interruption and just <laughs> go off on one. Just you know, yeah. like little breaks in the week where I don't say anything all week, or like I'm coaching people, and then I can just kind of go off and chat about everything I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's cool. I enjoy it. And then uh, yeah. And you're doing your masters as well now too. Yeah, psychology. So more or less, well, a third of the way through now. Just finished up modules on like developmental psych and social psychology. So that's been interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of statistics stuff. A lot of kind of history of psychology, but that's that kind of fits in nicely with everything else that I'm sort of into, like regarding sort of biology and stress, like with the lectures I did for you guys. Um, so it's kind of like, it doesn't really feel like a course. It's just it's, it's stuff that I'm doing anyway. Yeah. Do you know, it's just this time I have to pay a shitload of money to do it. Mm-hmm. But I get a certificate at the end. You get a piece of paper. <laughs> a piece of paper. But it's cool. Get a very on. expensive piece of paper. You better mount this piece of paper. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's... Uh, It'll be good. It'll be good to get it, and it'll be good to eventually do a PhD, hopefully, and kind of combine all of it together. Because it's it's one of those things at the moment where where you're coaching somebody, and kind of as we all appreciate, it's not just about the weights that you're lifting or the distances you're running. It's also then like, what's your relationships like? What's your lifestyle like? Do you like your job? Do you find meaning in the half the things that you do? Because if you don't, then all of those sorts of adaptations that you're trying to get with the weights and trying to get with the running. To a certain extent, it becomes blocked, but it's just, it's a lot harder as well just to even motivate yourself to do it because it doesn't mean anything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be good to eventually get a PhD, be able to actually help people clinically with that sort of stuff. And then, I don't know, have some sort of center where it's like, okay, we're going to do your three sets of 10 back squat right now. Let's go in the therapy room and start <laughs> talking Let's about Let's have stuff. a chat. <laughs> Let's have a chat. Yeah. Tell me about your wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Your numbers are down. Why are you so weak? Yeah. Why can't you sleep? Right. Get in the chair. Yeah. Well, people don't get it. You know, even when I'm trying to explain it on the course. So, the the graph that I did for you guys, the, the whole sort of homeostasis, distress, adaptation. Uh, that's literally the first thing we talk about on the course. Like, it's not strictly part of the curriculum, but it's it's so much easier to explain everything else that we talk about when you have that graph in front of you. And for a lot of people, like the general feedback I get, because I ask after like every class, like. I've probably spoken a little bit about what the course actually entails, but I've told you all this other stuff. Like, was that useful or was it a complete waste of time? And like the general feedback is, is like, actually, yeah, I didn't even think about that before. Like I'd never really considered how the fact that I hate my life, <laughs> it might somehow block my ability to put on muscle and lose fat and 
all the rest of it. So, mm. yeah, it's good. It's interesting. No, that's a tough challenge, though. Uh, like, to be able to help somebody, a client or a patient in every dimension is yeah. almost impossible. Well, it's it's hard and it, it's definitely harder if they don't want to be helped or if there's that sort of block there where they don't understand that all these lifestyle things actually do make a difference. Mm. I mean, you must get it all the time with like the, the pain sort of stuff and the rehab clients. They, I remember I had one guy, he still trains with me now, but he just had really achy knees. Every time he had sat down after work, his knees would flare up and his back would flare up. And I tried to explain to him kind of some of the psychosomatic stuff about that. And he's like, no, I, I don't think so. I think it's just, I just can't squat and I can't do this. And he's like, all right, fair enough. We didn't have the conversation again. And so then I switched the, the session. It's like, all right, we're not going to do any squats today. Let's just go and walk on the treadmill. And it was the, uh, the techno gym ones in 6P. It's like, put on the, uh, the little wooded simulator, like you're walking up a mountain. Or we'll mm-hmm. just talk. And then uh, I'd ask him in the evening, how are your knees? It's like, yeah, there's no pain today. It's first time ever. It's like, okay, cool. No worries then. And we'd slowly build it up. And I'd start disguising like squats into the workout and things like that. And sure enough, now he's you know squatting his body weight and he's running and he's sprinting and he's doing all sorts and at no point was there any sort of rehab done you know it was mm-hmm. just trying to disguise all the the normal stuff but then just talk with him and just you know chill and have him enjoy the session um because he's a guy who just hates his job like he there's this weight on his shoulders you can see it as soon as he walks in it's just like ugh, the world and life mm. and all the rest of it. Um, do you? I was thinking about this. Do you remember? So you and I went for coffee and we did that circle. Do you remember the circle? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's basically the circle of life, and it has like twelve different quadrants. And you basically map out where you are in each of the quadrants. And it's like, where are you spiritually? Like, are you happy mm. where you are spiritually? Are you happy in your relationships? Are you happy with your relationship with food? Are you are you exercising? Are you happy in work? So you go through all of the different quadrants and you kind of map out where you are. And if you're not happy with it, you bring it closer to the center. And if you are, you put a dot further out. And eventually you end up drawing the circle. And the circle can look like this very obscured shape. And the goal is to be able to make it look like a circle. And when you get there, it's like you're really satisfied with all of the elements of your life. Mm. And that gives you a lot more possibility of being in joy and in happiness and in the moment and being in satisfaction um so it kind of relates to what you're saying in in regards to like when it comes to the physicality of that it's affected by everything else in that circle so you can't just push one without without having to look at the other things and being able to see am i am i right <laughs> yeah 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 for sure yeah i don't know that circle guys are very like big, quiet it's like a big circle and then the sudden drop when finances section <laughs> like that sucks yeah i hate my life boom finances well yeah that's i mean that's the whole idea isn't it life's all about balance but what's interesting and to look at it another way was the way tom Otten told us when he came in is that if you want to really 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 excel in one thing you can't have balance you can't have like this perfect circle if you want to go way beyond in your as he's an ultra runner and he's a businessman mm. and he's a kind of a he's a mentor to a lot of people but like I, not to speak for him but like someone like that they might not have the ring you know yeah. they have like this bit way out there and then in here in here in here just because he can't he feels you can't have balance you can't get that way yeah well if you want to push it to the extremes you can't well it See, depends I, how you define balance yeah i know because i was i was just gonna say i don't agree with you i think it's it's 
balance is relative. So it's not going to, it's not going to maybe not be balanced in your eyes, but in my eyes, the things that bring me joy and satisfaction are in sync. If I'm putting all my time into this, then the other, the other facets are going to be in relation to that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah well, I mean, sure. this wasn't, this is what he was saying. Yeah, but it's, uh, well, there's, there's balance to a certain extent, but I think people's perception of balance is that I need to have, I need to work for five days and then take two days off. And I need to spend at least two hours a day uh, with my family and then eight hours at work. Whereas, and I need to be able to eat pasta and eat veggies. Uh, yeah, and cake and yeah. all the rest of and it. And healthy yeah. foods. Whereas if you look at it more as like a bigger picture sort of thing and you think, okay, across the, across the year, I'm going to naturally go through different moods and my motivation is going to fluctuate the same as every other thing does. So if I'm feeling really motivated, then why don't I just work every day for six months if that's what I want to do? do you know, mm-hmm. I don't need to have the rest. Do you know what I mean? And then when you start to lose that motivation, well, then rest. Yeah. Do you see I'm laughing because I know that this is something that you do? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, but do you know, it's, uh, it's, so, okay, so I, I read this, uh, well, I've just finished reading this book. I'm really into like history and ancient history and things like that. I try and read as widely as possible. Um, and it was the first volume of what is like a six volume, like, <laughs> tome of why the Roman Empire fell. And there was this one, like, bit that he had in it which was he said something like the foundation of a a what was it virtuous and liberal disposition is the love of pleasure and the love of action okay so long as firstly that the love of pleasure is predicated on um good honest kind of social relationships and good health and so on and so forth and then so that then the love of action was also predicated on kind of benevolence and trying to do the right thing and so on and so forth but he could have added like another paragraph because, I mean, he's a historian, he wasn't a psychologist, but you can't really have those two things um, mutually exclusive. Like pleasure and action. Pleasure and action, yeah. You need the two. Can you just define it. them properly for me so I understand? Uh, what, pleasure and action? No, action. What do you mean by action as in like like taking action? Uh, well, to a certain extent. It uh-huh. could, well, it could mean a lot of things, right? But here's the thing, like you don't get one without the other, okay? So... Again, that graph, like we can relate everything to that graph. You're in homeostasis, kind of bobbling along, and then there's got to be some sort of stress, right? It can be like a little bit of stress or like a huge amount of stress. And then you get this either restoration of homeostasis or you get this adaptive sort of phase, right? Where homeostasis then rises. The point of that drop, that stress, that peak kind of trough and the peak height, you could define that neurologically as the sensation of pleasure, okay? So thinking that if I'm really hungry and then I eat, if I'm really thirsty and then I drink. It's a very good example. (laughs) Yeah. So if I work really hard all the time and then I rest, like you got to earn this by going into the trough. Neurologically, psychologically, physically, whatever you want to have. So that's what he was kind of like. So if you were a virtuous and kind of good person and you've, you've, you've kind of got your shit together, it's because you constantly fluctuate between this. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have the stress and then you get the reward of it. And you can see it where people um, who are sort of fixated on material things like money um, or if they just try and find comfort wherever they can, they're not happy. Like they're depressed as hell. They're just here the whole time. Right. Because there's no longer any sensation of pleasure or they'll kind of try and uh, get the pleasure just through more material things. But there's, there isn't any earning of it. Like it's like you buy it, you get this momentary sort of spike in dopamine. You feel really good. And then it's that and then it's done. And like you see it in people who um, retire, for instance, 
they just get depressed. It's like, mm. yeah, like you shouldn't have retired. Like you don't have anything, you're not earning your right to have pleasure and rest and so on. So that's, what, was it, what were we originally talking about? You were talking about the Roman Empire and the pleasure in action. And then yeah, you that said one, that there's yeah. one aspect that they were missing and you never yeah, yeah, said yeah. what but, it was. So yeah, you need the, the connection. Two. <laughs> yeah, How did I remember this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you need the two. Like you don't get one without having the other. Um, and so therefore balance and trying to mitigate some of those things can be uh, problematic. So what was the third thing that you were going to mention there? You said that there was something else that they didn't, that they missed because they're historians and not psychologists so pleasure action oh no it's just those two but oh. the link between the two is oh, in like okay. you don't just get to have one without the other it's mm-hmm. the action that yields the pleasure do you know mm-hmm. but um and it, and it works like so i'll tell you another story so back at well, it would have been around 312 ad okay like oh wow this is a story going oh, yeah, way back okay. <laughs> so like the roman empire is like completely fractured now there's like six potential emperors right and uh the two main ones is like constantine okay and then there's uh the other emperor is kind of in italy so constantine's out on the rhine um this other guy maxentius is in italy and they've just kind of finally kind of got rid of, of like the franks and the uh Alemanni, like all these germanic tribes that have been invading or at least their dads did but now it's all kind of fractured and it's all kind of uh, a bit of a mess and then lo and behold Eventually, they're going to have to fight, okay? So Constantine comes down, and he only has about 40,000 troops because he's had to leave 80,000 um, to cover the frontier. And then Maxentius comes in with an army of 120,000 people, okay? So it's like the odds are ridiculous. And it's not like it's, you know, like well-trained Romans versus just some barbarians. It's like mm. no well-trained Romans. And uh, Constantine wins. Like, he doesn't just win once. He actually beats him three times. Um, and he ends up going on to conquer Byzantium, which then becomes Constantinople. But the guy, the historian, was saying <clears throat> the difference was is that Constantine's troops have been on the Rhine for the last 10 years, whereas Maxentius', Maxentius guys had just been kind of chilling in Rome. I mean, they'd been fighting as well, but they were in Rome, so they're having kind of a nice time of it. <clears throat> and so then you think, okay, well, what does it mean? Like, why would it matter that they're on the Rhine? Like, why would why would they be tougher per se like what is it to be tough do you know and so that you could think of it as resilience maybe well mm-hmm. toughness resilience whatever it is mm-hmm. but again it's it's the confrontation of stress and of mm-hmm. things like that and you consider what their lifestyle was like on the rhine which is like germany yeah so as you're talking all i'm thinking is game of thrones winterfell marching down <laughs> on uh essos yeah yeah absolutely but it's the so you've got one Roman soldier who's on the Rhine, one who's in Rome. So the one on the Rhine, because they've been having so many sort of uh, raids and things like that from some of the barbarians coming across, <clears throat> it was probably harder for them to get food up there, okay, because the grain all had to come from Egypt, right? So it's way easier to get it to Rome than it is to get it right up into Germany. So you think that they're probably undergoing some sort of calorie restriction. And then you think, okay, well, things like calorie restriction, I mean, that's like... Uh, it's actually let me preface this a little bit more so like the original stress was oxygen right like even when you're a single cell 750 million years ago you're confronting oxygen wow we're going even further because yeah. <laughs> this is like what people get confused with this like, this is where it it kind of gets a bit messy with like understanding why your lifestyle might impact your body so your cells are naturally 
like fighting oxygen all the time, we have that weird sort of paradoxical relationship with it because it gives it us life, but then it also kills us. kills us at the same time. And so in response to that, your cells generate like a shitload of stress proteins, um, things like, uh, there's like superoxide dismutase, which comes from a bunch of different metals, um, heat shock proteins, things like that, that are now getting more sort of popularity because of all the heat shock stuff with saunas and so on. Um, in response to oxygen, these stress proteins come out and they make like a really tough cell. It's also one of the problems why you don't necessarily want to just chug on antioxidants all day or like cram kale shakes down your face because it's like you do the job of the stress proteins and if you keep doing it, they're like little wussy cells. Do you know? mm-hmm. So then you think, well, calorie restriction has been shown to increase all of those stress proteins. So just by withholding your calories by like 30 to 40, sometimes 50%, you get this massive rise in these stress proteins. So there's one reason they might be tougher. So already biologically, there's something going on there. They're then constantly having to build. There's constant activity throughout the day because they're constantly having to either train because the barbarians are like right across the river or they're constantly having to build things and so on and so forth. So then muscles are getting work. Cardiovascular systems getting work. Again, all these stress proteins sort of come to fruition. When they enter the bloodstream and then they go into your brain, that's what like neuroplasticity is. So they get this constant repairing of neurons, constant mm-hmm. generation of new neurons. And then, and that's one of the reasons why like you get these communities of uh, centenarians where they all live over the age of like 100. The blue zones. Sorry? The blue zones. Is that what they call it? Blue zones. Yeah, yeah. There's areas all over the world where there's a conglomeration of people that live over 100 and they've mm. called it the blue zones. And they've tried to study why it is that these people live longer. Yeah. So one of the reasons is A, calorie restriction and also because there's just constant activity going on. So you kind of have like two layers there. There's just this kind of cellular thing going on where there's just constant activity, constant stress, plus the stress of weather change, plus the stress of... Um, uh, constant activity and calorie restriction but then also <clears throat> you have this kind of psychological stress that's going on because it's monotonous as hell like they don't know when they're going to get attacked they're there like for years on end barbarians are there they know they're going to attack at some point they just don't know when so are we this, back in the romans yeah okay. so it's this boredom plus <laughs> this uh we're not cells anymore <laughs> we're romans but so there's this constant psychological stress. But you can mitigate that because there's everything they do is imbued with a sense of meaning for it, right? Because the barbarians are there. So if I don't do my job, despite how monotonous it might be, like everybody's going to die. And that's an existential sort of idea. It's like the idea that it's, yes, your life might really suck, but if it's imbued with meaning and it's worth continuing, well, then you're more likely to do it. And that's one of the sort of foundations of things like motivation all these layers are starting to kind of sync up so you have this kind of cellular resistance to stress now you have a a decent like lifestyle philosophical sort of outlook imbued with meaning in everything that you do but also Constantine was sort of well loved by his troops and so they didn't want to let him down like he had been sort of a good leader he was a tough guy like he was like he was tough himself and so he had this kind of natural sort of inspiration for the troops and so they wanted to do right by him if that makes sense yeah so here's another little psychological sort of thing so when you have yourself as you are right now and you have this version of your idealized self who is the tough roman soldier and so on and so forth those two can start to come into line that's a very powerful thing particularly when it's already pre-layered with all of this other like physical um stress resistance that's happening at the same time and so then the last bit is is like well it's not just everybody's experiencing that at the individual level 
everybody is working towards the same goal with the same kind of biological stress resistance with the same sort of psychological outlook. You mean uh, we're all working towards the goal of alignment? Yeah, yeah. So, well, all, everybody's doing, doing it on the individual things. level. Yeah. Sorry? That everyone's enduring the same stresses, so it brings them together. Yeah, exactly that. So you've got all these people taking the individual responsibility to kind of get themselves in check. But then when you put them in a group and in a team, that's like it, it sort of transcends the sum of the individuals, right? It's like... Um, like I used to be a metalhead back when I was a teenager. I used to go to these thrash metal bands and stuff like that. And when when like everybody's in there and you're all cramped in, moshing, moshing, yeah. But now it's like you're not one individual anymore. Everybody's moving together at the same time. And so, and it's also important as well because if you're you're facing any sort of stressful situation, if you're doing it in a group or you got your buddy with you, the individual amount of stress that you're experiencing has been like completely mitigated. That's why. Um, like you see all those Finnish sauna studies and stuff like that, and they find that there's like a 60% decrease in mortality rate, like 63% decrease in Alzheimer's and things like that. If you go in a sauna like three times a week with your buddies, you know, it's like the heat, but also you're there with your friends. Um, and so then you get an army that's like that, and then, yeah, suddenly one guy is worth like three of the weaker sort of versions of the other army. So why would the, why would the other guys be weaker then? Like you've talked a lot about the guys up north, and what they're experiencing in the run up to the battle. How does that compare to the guys down south? Well, because they were, A, they're in Italy, um, and so already it's more of a moderate sort of climate. But also, they weren't necessarily training as hard as the people on the frontier, because the, the guys on the frontier had to be battle-ready all of the time. You know? um, plus, their commander wasn't well-loved. He was just the son of like the last guy, and the last guy was like a, a serious sort of emperor. Like He was one of the main reasons why the whole sort of barbarian uprising was crushed. So everyone respected him. His son's a bit of a dick, do you know? So there isn't, A, this constant sort of activity necessarily. I mean, I'm sure there was, but there isn't the harsher climates. There isn't the constant need for wariness and to be uh, kind of on the go at any sort of second. Um, but then you also didn't have that whole, like, we need to work together for this. And so then, like, yeah, the 120,000 men, they're all completely decimated. Um, and so kind of linking it all back in what we we're talking about beforehand the idea of like balance in those sort of scenarios but it's like no no but there's extremes and then there's rest when you need it and so on and so forth and you will become more resilient and tougher as a result of that rather than just trying to constantly look for ways of seeking comfort which i think is what people mean when they say balance you know mm. it's like i just don't really want to work that hard i want to be able to make money really quickly and i want to be able to chill and i want to be sort of happy but and I want to be able to eat crap but look good in, in my underwear. Yeah, exactly. Like there's no there's no desire to confront things or to, to go through the stresses to earn the adaptation, and therefore you're not tough, and you do get depressed, and you do get anxious, and um, you end up uh, physically unhealthy in the extreme sort of cases. So <clears throat> you're saying that the ability to go through something stressful, adapt to it in the end, makes people a lot stronger. And that can be a conglomeration of different things, right? Yeah, and it makes you happier because you are now experiencing pleasure, mm -hmm. right? Pleasure in the sense of um, not just like, yeah, I've had a chocolate bar, but as in like a meaning to your life, like you mm. enjoy it. Like everyone knows it. When you work really hard, <coughs> yeah. like flat out, and then you take rest, yeah. man, it's a sweet thing. Like you really enjoy that rest. Well, I was so recently I've been watching, I read this book called um, 
into thin air. Have you guys heard about it? It's the then it basically documents the 1996 uh, Everest. Um, expedition and all of the problems that happened and it was one of the the largest fatalities in a single season that they had um and after I was watching these documentaries I started watching all of these other people and and their journeys of climbing like Everest and it's when you watch it it's like why are people doing this it sounds miserable it's and people actually come down from it saying like the process was miserable it's misery being up there but to get to the top and go through all of that misery and then come back down alive like the alive part is a crucial part there is amazing and exhilarating um but the process of it like being in you know base camp and camp one and camp two and camp three and camp four and then like the summit misery (laughs) yeah for sure but then you earn your rest and then you you feel better for it yeah all the while you've You've had the whole physical challenge of it. You've had the psychological challenge of it. And like kind of like the emotional, philosophical sort of challenge of it all. Like why the mental challenge. It? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But when you say that to people, people, if you ever mention someone, and I probably think the same, would you ever climb Mount Everest? Absolutely not. Why? I couldn't be dealing with that kind of misery. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's obviously always extremes. It's not to say that any and all stress is favorable because obviously some stress just kills you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like it's yeah, a lot of people die there. Yeah. I would so do it. <laughs> yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be uh, taxing. But there's got to be some reason why you're doing it as well to a certain extent. Do you know, if you were to just do it, like somebody said, should we just go? You'd be like, all right. Well, like, yeah, you probably wouldn't. They'd be the first people to turn around. A bit cold. Yeah, like well, stop well, I didn't realize it was going to be this. Pff, I'm off. See you later. Good luck, boys. But I think you have to. What what I'm thinking about a lot recently is people, clients of mine and friends of mine who are struggling to sort of know what they want to do or Mm. like struggling to really find a mission. You mean purpose when you say mission? Yeah. Like purpose in their life? Like a goal. Like what are we working towards? Oh, just maybe this and maybe that. It's like, all right. But the people who like, nah, I'm dead set. This is what I want to do. They're the ones who've endured some form of heavy adversity in their past whether it's like physical personal mental when the child whatever they're the ones who are much more i know what i want and it's possibly as a positive or negative reaction of this adversity that i went through when i was younger you know you come through something that's inflicted on you it's not like all right i it's not like you like you chose to jump off the thing you know it's like that was inflicted on you and now as a result of your process coming out of that now you have this drive to go to go again and to go again and to go again whereas the people who struggle, I'm almost oh, you're hearing stories. Almost like, oh, I don't wish anything bad to happen to anybody. But it's like that might be what you need. Like, kick up the yeah. Ass. You, yeah, kick up the ass by something, something just to give you. A yeah, do you know? I I really believe that adversity makes people makes people stronger. 100%. I know this is what we're talking about, but yeah. I remember. <clears throat> Uh, like when so being in at school being little so in Australia at five years old you do this thing called nippers it's like eventually it leads just the lifeguarding yeah eventually it leads to surf lifesaving but basically you go in a swimsuit you put on this little hat that's like sometimes it's bright blue sometimes it's red it's so it's basically so if you get lost in the ocean (laughs) they can find you that's what I've come to realize it's about so at five years old you 
like you see these enormous waves and you get taught straight away, okay, you, you run to the wave head on and then if it's really big, you dive under the wave and then you grab the sand. And in Australia, basically you grab the sand and the waves are so, the ocean is so strong that you just get dragged and you just hope that you grip hard enough so that you don't get dragged off and in Australia, we we call them like they dump you. So they basically turn you into a little washing machine and you go vroom, vroom, vroom in this washing machine. And then it goes Poof, and it throws you into the sand and you come out and you come to the surface, take a breath. And then you see the next wave and you're like, shit, it's too, I can't get under. I can't dive under the waves there. And you quickly take a breath and you go again. Like it just happens over and over. And that process makes you so strong because then you get into an ocean like this and you're like, shit, this is, this is easy. But I, I have no idea where the story's going. And then you get eaten by sharks. <laughs> and you're dead. There's a shitload of jellyfish. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, the, the point of it is, is that it makes, you, it makes you a lot stronger. It yeah. makes you resilient yeah. and understand the ocean as opposed to if you never experience that, you're afraid of it on the get-go. And yeah, well, you're, you're then... So I think what you're trying to say is now you're more resilient to the ocean. Like, because when you go off into mm. another one, you're like, no, this is nothing. Yeah. 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 You see, you understand it for what it is, as opposed to like people who never, um, one of, one of the things that happens in this, I don't even know why I'm talking about this. Go is anyway. it pe- people that go to Australia, you know, most people that drown in Australia, are not Australians. They're obviously like tourists that don't know how yeah. to swim Backpack and they don't. Mm. Yeah. It's Dude, like, I lived there. There was, there was like three Southeast, three people from Southeast Asia. Yeah, drowned in Bondi when I lived there in 06. Yeah, people, one, they don't understand how strong that ocean is. Like, the, the Australian ocean has a to- it's a mind and an energy system all on its own. It is powerful. Um, and it really humbles you to the experience of being inside it. Like, you do not take that ocean for granted. Um, and when you, you don't experience that and you don't ever, like, go into the... I, I'm going to yeah, stop I haven't talking. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah, but it's, no, I know what you're saying. Matt, take over, please. No, I t- I, I so back in 300 BC. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying because I didn't grow up near the sea. I went out on a few, on a few like family days out and like adventure holidays, whatever, two days on the surfing river back in. If I fall off a paddleboard here in this sea, I'm like, oh my God, what's below me? I don't know. Yeah, I'm scrambling. Sure. I'm kicking my feet and I'm trying to get back on the board straight away just because I don't know what's down there. Like, there's nothing. It's the sea. It's the sea by the shore. There's no, there's nothing going to bite me. But I have that fear, not fear, but I have that like, I'm not comfortable. So I just get back yeah, on my, same for sure. I'm getting back on my board. There's people trying to tr- convince me to do triathlons. And I'm like, nope. I don't really want to swim in the ocean. Like I just, I have to get over that. I have yeah. to, and that's for me, that's now I have to. So what I was saying is with you and your accent, you didn't choose to jump. You, that happened to you. It was inflicted on you. I have to choose to go into the water now. And like, I've put myself here. I've got to endure this. I've got to come out. And then like in six months time, I'm like swimming in the ocean is easy. Do you know, can I give you a suggestion there? Because this, this helps me sometimes. Like in Australia, it's very, it's very different. But when I was swimming in Australia, it helped to see. So when you can see what's underneath you, you're not so scared because you know that there's nothing there. Like in Australia, it's different because you yeah, know there's there stuff there. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I don't want to see at Giant all. shark. Yeah, like at home, at home, I'd be like, no, I don't want to see because I know there's shit there and I don't want to know that it's there. But here, it's if you're afraid of it, there's actually nothing here. Yeah. So if you see, you're going to see one jellyfish like floating by you maybe. But even that's if enough. It, yeah. yeah, but even if, no, even if I, my, my leg touches off a plastic bag that's yeah, floating like, like a meter, like 
get me out of the thing. And I've lost all manlyhood as I'm thrashing to try and get on my paddleboard, flipping my paddleboard back over me like just like a drowning sea lion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's good that you choose like that's because yeah, that's how you sort of get over things. Like I uh, haven't made the choice yet. Like I'm not that brave. <laughs> yeah, the same you, with the jujitsu. I it, keep like. telling Matt and another guy that I'm going to do this jujitsu thing, but I just don't want somebody yeah. wrestling me in the face. Yeah, but so that's a good example. I think because like jujitsu, particularly when you're you're fighting somebody who is just like they're just on another planet, sort of good, and they have their like elbow shoved in your face and their sweaty head like pushed up against you, and you have that overwhelming sense like there is nothing. I can do to like get out of this and there's like three minutes on the clock still so now I'm just like fuck um, but then you get over it and then you're alive and you're like okay that wasn't so bad <laughs> right next time tap out yeah, tap <laughs> yeah. out well that's the problem though like sometimes it's like you don't need to tap out you're just really uncomfortable and so it's like there's no pain here it's just it sucks and I can't breathe and I'm like ah. so it's and this guy sweats all over me like it's going yeah, closer it's to my eyeball in your face Ugh. Um, but then you go in again, it's like, right, okay, I've been here before. Okay, now I'm just going to relax. And now I'm just going to, right, okay, what could I do? Like, what could I do to get out of this? And that's when you start, okay, now I can actually submit people and tap people out and move stuff because you just, everything becomes slower then. But that's it. But so that's that. So immediate stress, yeah. sense of overwhelming. Okay, well now relax. Now I'm better at jiu-jitsu. Too. So I totally, I totally see and I believe and I witness this and I see it in all people, this, this kind of compensation and reaction curve. But it's how do you get the stress because like I'm saying again some people get in the ocean it happens to them they have the car accident they have the accident they have the financial bust they have whatever whatever but then other people are so chilled in their balance that they don't choose to go whoa down into the negative stress adversity thing because they they don't like that bit you know so they never they never have the up bit yeah but it doesn't have to be extreme Um, like in the electorate a few guys like you can you can have a little bit of stress like it's not going to be as great the adaptation but it's as as long as it's enough to to kick you out of homeostasis you'll get a rise you know so long as you do it consistently enough yeah so it's like what we do with weights for instance like okay i'm really nervous that's the perfect example trx okay right now with a kettlebell right now with a bar you know that's the perfect example that takes it right back to what you're saying about teaching your students at the start like that's what you're doing when you pick up the weights you're on your norm then you start doing your reps and then you start to feel the stress and the difficulty and then you can't do any more and you put the weight down, then you rest, and then you come back up and you can go again. But there's people who just don't like that bit. Yeah, for sure. So on the micro scale, in the session, they're like, oh, it's a bit heavy. Can I go a bit lighter? Yeah, yeah. And then there's people who will go, give me more, give me more, let's do more. And then they just collapse and crumble. Yeah, but it's the same as anything. Like You, just, you, you have to make a start and you have to um, confront things. You know? Yeah. But the people who don't or the people who, who try and stay away from it are the people who end up who get like serious depression. I mean obviously depression is a multifaceted thing there's a lot of genetic and biological stuff there as well but it's, it's when you get that rot do you know because like, i'm not doing anything difficult do you know what i mean yeah well yeah to be fair i'm i feel like that now at the moment so uh, this is where yeah but i mean people have written about this i mean that, that is the existential philosophy it's like uh, one of uh kierkegaard's books he's kind of he's got this character who's basically himself and he's sitting in this cafe and he's just there smoking a cigar and he's like look at all these like famous people and people who are really successful and stuff and I'm doing nothing um, except I can't make anything easier like there's nothing I can do to make life easier I'm sitting in this cafe I'm smoking a cigar I have loads of money there is nothing wrong yeah. and then he suddenly has the epiphany is like okay so then I resolved to create difficulties wherever I could that's my like, yeah so now let's go and do some stuff that's, do e- that's exactly my point that's the choice yeah. now you have to choose you book the flight to, the, to Everest base camp 
and you have to do it. Yeah. Oh damn it! I have this massive mountain. Yeah. I've got to climb. But it has to be it. a choice. You can't be forced. Like that's the downside of obviously experiencing um, accidents and things like that. It's like okay, you can rebound from it um, so long as you're sufficiently strong. But the other problem is, is that then that can just be complete trauma. Like that's that's like the dip. That's just this huge drop rather than the rebound. Yeah, when, it's, when, it's, when the trauma is too much. Were you saying I was sufficiently strong to rebound? Yeah, but you do, like, because you, like, you're a good example of it, because you could be extremely bitter and extremely resentful and extremely whatever That's else. That's right, I but could. You're not. Like, well, at least you're not in public. Um, <laughs> but it's, in private. Uh, in private, you're like, ah. um, But that's how you do it, and then that's when it becomes positive. But, yeah, it's not to say that you have to run up yeah. your clients back and smack them over the head with a weight and like, but, right now confront the adversity but for you like you've you've had this inflicted on you boom and there's your like your lowest point is super low and your highest point is super high yeah but i so i think two things as well the healing part is a choice the rebounding that part the 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 whatever it is the action portion that you were discussing that's a choice you make that too so i made that choice yeah. to get better it was an, a physical and an action and a yeah. like a thought was like this is going to happen i'm going in this direction and i could just as easily make the opposite choice but that would be a choice too so yeah yeah and that's the, that's the bit where people like to stay in that you didn't like that's a difficult choice you know that's something that mm. some people would, would shy away from they don't See, this is where we differ because I think that's the easier choice. Yeah, well, I, the can't, harder choice I can't say that. I've never been there. Well, the, the idea of a choice, like if it's something that's extremely traumatic, you don't get a choice. Um, and they've, they've tested this on rats. So, for instance, they, they Do you think? Because if, so th- do you really think? Okay, tell me your thing so, with okay, the rats. So there's two groups yeah. of rats, okay? Um, and then they're on a platform, okay? So a long sort of beam. And then there's an enclosure at one end, okay? And what they do is they... they um, take one group of rats and they give them a bone marrow transplant so they, they put in a load of junk bone marrow which like bone marrow is like the storage center of your immune system so now they have no immune system and what they do is they expose both groups of rats to cat urine which rats are like just terrified of even if they've never seen a, a cat they know this is bad mm. okay so the ones with the bad immune system never leave the enclosure they just stay there the entire time but the ones with a healthy immune system they still explore despite the fact that there's a stressor and then they they link this to sort of like PTSD and things like that. Like if you've been really traumatized or you have a really jacked up immune system, your your brain, your whole personality won't let you explore. It won't let you try to rebound and try and find a way out. It's just like, nope, I'm going to hide, Do you know. Ah, uh, I see. So, but this is so, again, going back to what we've been talking about, this is where the lifestyle stuff and the physical stuff mm. comes in place. Because if you can have like the Roman soldiers the physical basis of a good healthy immune system because you're restricting calories you're doing exercise and then you can overlay it with this sort of philosophical outlook that it doesn't matter if it sucks there is meaning to it therefore it's worth it do you know and then you have people around you and so on and so forth like the army or whatever who are all going in the same direction well then you can get over things like that but if you've had uh yeah, just straight up trauma, and now your immune system's in the tank. Like you can't even, you can't even get in the arena to even start thinking about it. You know, because your brain's just like, nope, like fear. Ugh, don't do it. There must be a path back from that. Yeah, well, you start. Okay, let's exercise. Let's go and meet some friends. Let's confront a little bit of whatever it is that's scaring you, and that's what therapy is, and so on and so forth. You know. And does rebuilding the the physical cellular but, body but, encompass that as well? Yeah, because it's like all the, the same system. chain. So but it's wait, still wait, just wait, the just confrontation go with. Go back a sec, but to get the therapy, is that not the choice? 
Yeah, yeah. But it, so there has to be some sort of start to it. So but it's just like, okay, well, what are you willing to do? Like, okay, so I'm stuck in bed. I'm hiding under the covers. Okay, well, can you just take the covers off today? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. just try that one little thing first. So and then tomorrow we'll leave the room. At some know? stage, there is the choice to get better. You like, it might be a far more difficult choice, but for someone you go, okay, do I stay in the bed? Yeah, well, some people do. Yeah. But you'd, it, it would be harsh to say that that was necessarily a choice. Do you know, it's the same reason why people don't necessarily choose to be fat. It's just that everything in their body is telling them to eat that cake. Do you know what I mean? Like the idea that you chose it, it's like, uh, ish, sort of, you know. Or sometimes people just get a kick up the ass and like, right, I'm going to pull the covers off of you. But that's, a, that's then, a sketchy place to go. Yeah, then maybe for me, it was a choice because my I felt like I was ready for it. Yeah, maybe. for sure. Well, I'm sure you went through some period of like, everything oh yeah i was yeah. i was there my sister calls it being in the mud i was in the mud yeah, you're in the mud and then yeah. okay then you see the light or something you see something like well they say in yoga that when you're in the mud you eventually endeavor and you aspire and you yeah. like it's that route that pushes through to the light for sure and it has that like analogy of going through that process to enlightenment so eventually we come through but yeah i was in the mud a long time <clears throat> the mud like, sucks it's shit <laughs> yeah i mean reading philosophy has always been like i've read philosophy since i was like my teenager and that's always been a very useful sort of thing because like reading good philosophy is like listening to music where particularly if it's a good writer as well especially like the existentialist writers like this is one guy called Albert Camus who was um, he was around in the mid sort of twentieth century. He wrote this book called The Myth of Sisyphus. And so like the myth of Sisyphus is he's condemned by the gods to keep rolling this big boulder up the hill. As soon as he gets to the top, it rolls all the way back down again, and he does that for eternity. Man, like in his book, you don't even have to read the whole thing, but just that end chapter where he's actually talking about what Sisyphus must be experiencing. Like if you're ever in the drudgery of nine to five and you're sort of wondering what the meaning is, like just read that end chapter. Like it's inspiring as hell, and then you're like, okay. Let's get up and let's start let's doing quit. Stuff. Let's go join a PT course and Done. let's listen to Matt yeah. tell me how <laughs> much it sucks me pushing my boulder up the hill all the yeah. time. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, we're just about sort of pressed for time now. Um, we'll have you on again, Matt, and we'll just keep the conversation going. Where can people follow all the stuff that you're doing online? And uh, I know you're s- super follow. active on your social <laughs> media. Uh, yeah, Matt C PT. I post. <coughs> I think you need to tell people about your book Instagram because there's a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> it, well, yeah, that was always just like, I'm just going to post it up for me. And then slowly but surely, like somebody starts following, somebody starts following. And I know. Uh, I love it. So Matt has an Instagram account about, with all of the books that he reads. People follow it. Yeah. I can't even remember what that one is. It's Matt. Yeah. Chinese. Yeah. Read a hundred books in the year. It's, what are you on? 52? <laughs> no, nah, I'm on 34. I just finished another book today. Amazing. Anyway, Matt, always a pleasure to have yeah, you on, you and we'll have today. you soon no to talk about some more like existential. Yes, <laughs> from the Roman Empire to the cell. <laughs> Bye, guys. Yeah. Bye.